D-Day and then Operation Market Garden. That's when they really started using the Pathfinders. And at that point, it was just a beacon on the ground for the aircraft. And they did uh, supply some uh, assembly aids, but it's really when you get into the Vietnam War, uh, techniques that were developed here on Fort Benning, uh, you know, and how to actually use Pathfinders when it comes for, uh, again, air mobile insertions, uh, which was a very big thing. Welcome back to Leaders Recon. Today we're talking about Pathfinder with Sergeant Perfect Ludek and Staff Sergeant Morales, instructors here at the Warrior Training Center. Welcome to the program. Thanks, sir. Yes, thank you for having us. So before we dive into Pathfinder and like, can you tell us a little bit about like, what is a Pathfinder? Uh, sir, well, Pathfinder is a subject matter expert on all things airdrop resupply. Uh, dig into the weeds and kind of uh, expound on anything else that another school may teach you about airdrop resupply. And we just combine it all into one uh, package and a 16 day course to make that individual, um, like I said, an expert in sling load, external load, uh, air movement for resupply, setting up helicopter landing zones uh, to deliver personnel uh, or equipment, and then finally uh, setting up drop zones of various types to, again, deliver uh, human resupply or equipment. Have you, has there ever been a time where either one of you have been able to execute some of these skills in a, in a mission environment? You know, good. Yeah, I actually had an opportunity while I was in Afghanistan, uh, much like a lot of other people. You know, the easiest way to get around in a lot of cases is uh, via air mobile, uh, air mobile insertion. Uh, so uh, while I was there in Afghanistan, in Iraq as well, I had an opportunity okay. to use the, the skills that I learned uh, at Pathfinder School in, in a real world situation. So, in, and I'm assuming for the airborne units and stuff, I mean, I guess it's a requirement to have Pathfinders then as part of the units or? Yes, yeah, sir, it depends on uh, what type of drops are doing. So a computed air release point, uh, that can just be a jump master qualified individual. They just okay. go to the point of impact market and then and go from there. Uh, where it gets more difficult, where it has to be a pathfinder, where the army drop zones, the verbally initiated release system mm -hmm. and the ground marked release system. That is required by doctrine to be a pathfinder. And I guess so before I ask you what all those things are, <laughs> because for uh, those that are listening in, can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, like the history of like, you know, where did Pathfinders come from? You know, where are we today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so really dating back to World War II, uh, when uh, the Army realized there was a need for uh, a mass uh, airborne uh, assault. And so uh, particular to Operation Husky, which is an invasion of Sicily, uh, during the airborne assault, they realized Okay, we've got people scattered all over the place and it's not an organized means to deliver the people, uh, the paratroopers to the ground. So uh, when you have uh, D-Day and then Operation Market Garden, that's when they really started using the Pathfinders. And at that point, it was just a beacon on the ground for the aircraft. And they did uh, supply some uh, assembly aids, but it's really when you get into the Vietnam War, uh, techniques that were developed here on Fort Benning, uh, you know, and how to actually use Pathfinders when it comes for, uh, again, air mobile insertions, uh, which was a very big thing uh, during Vietnam. And then moving forward to the global war on terrorism uh, and even the, uh, the, where we are now with the fight, uh, the need for Pathfinders has, has really grown. Because again, 
a, a, a precision uh, way to get soldiers to and from the battlefield, or rather a precise way to get soldiers to and from the battlefield is, uh, is using helicopters. And of course, again, when you think about uh, airborne insertions and, and airborne assaults, uh, having your pathfinders on the ground there to provide navigational aid, uh, and then as well as assembly aids as well. That's, uh, you know, and so that's where the history started, and then that's where we're going into the future. So Pathfinders taught here at WTC, you, you both are instructors. What's the role that WTC plays in Pathfinder now? Uh, yes, sir. So since the five, uh, first of the 507th has gone away uh, as the proponency, we have absorbed the executive agency of Pathfinder. There's also the Sabolowski uh, Pathfinder School as well. Uh, what we're trying to do, um, we didn't have a seat at the table when there's the discussions about Pathfinder going away. Uh, some of the things that were cited where was funding, uh, they were overstrength on the force, meaning people with Pathfinder badges, um, and then you could get those skill sets at other schools. Uh, my rebuttal to that is for funding, we're a 16-day course. All right, we're more consolidated as where the active component is a three-week course. Um, for um, getting that skill set at different schools, there's arguments that I'm sure everybody who's watching that has been in the Army and gone to schools can make, and, and the obvious reasons. Um, you know, air assault can, you know, somewhat give you a touch on helicopter landing zones. Well, we, we dive into that. Again, we're the subject matter experts. We go well more into detail in that. Our face is longer. Sergeant Morales is the face chief of uh, uh, HLZs. Uh, for sling loads, you have the sling load inspector course. Again, that's the one to two week course itself. And in four days, we take basic loads that the Army has in its inventory, apply the doctrinal um, application to it, and then our best practices, which has uh, been learned and, and implemented um, downrange, uh, so best practices. You can take those four loads, and then the idea is that Pathfinders can go uh, sling any unique load, whether that's a down aircraft, a down vehicle, what have you, uh, and they can apply that there. So it's the premier schoolhouse for sling loads and HLZs, uh, all consolidated into just two phases instead of sending your soldiers to two separate schools. Now for drop zones, the argument was um, Going through drop zones, passing Pathfinder will make you a current qualified drop zone support team leader. Okay. So the argument for that was that was the only unique thing that Pathfinder School had to offer, right? So the other side of that is, well, they got Jumpmaster. Well, if you are a graduate of Jumpmaster, like I spoke on earlier, you can go be the drop zone support team leader for a computed air release point drop. Mm -hmm. What that means in layman's terms is a hell, or I'm sorry, a uh, airplane with its um, computers will calculate it. The Air Force Navigator will calculate the release point in the air so that the item will land where it's supposed to. Okay. Okay, so Jumpmaster is a great program. I like it so much I went twice. Um, but the thing, main thing you get out of that is being able to uh, do a, an inspection on a jumper to where they are safe and have a safe uh, exit out of that aircraft. And then you do learn uh, a little bit of actions on the aircraft and a little bit of the drop zone support team leader duties and responsibilities. But that's just for that you go set up on the point of impact. And generally, I'll give an example of Fort Benning here. Friar Drop Zone has a giant mound, so it's, it's pretty much just plug and play. You show up, you set up the appropriate markings, and you're good to go. Where Pathfinder dives into a little bit more is we fill in all the gaps on all the phases, Drop Zone specifically, since we're talking about it. We go into the Army Drop Zone, so verbally initiated release system, like I talked about, and ground okay. mark release system. So verbally initiated release system, there's a ton of problem solving that goes into that. You're factoring in the wind, the forward throw of the aircraft, and then you're going to have to use complex uh, formulas such as uh, trigonometry, the law of sine and cosine, to potentially um, calculate an offset 
release or a delayed release. These are complex things that you're not going to learn in Jump Master School. So again, we consolidate this. The Groundmark release system, uh, that's the proponent of that is USASOC, so your SF okay. units, right? Unfortunately, and this is not a dig on them, the 18 series guys require a waiver to attend the school. And I think that's a huge disservice. It's something as executive agent we're looking to improve uh, on the uh, prerequisites for, for people to attend. Um, what I'm told from guys in the community, in the Q course, some of the guys get uh, a basic um, ref refresher or what have you on Groundmark release system drop zones. But it seems that every time we go help these guys out, they have a very limited um, understanding of that, which is fine. We, we don't mind teaching that. And that's something I'm sure we'll touch on that we are available to the force to help out with these things. So again, we specialize in that, and then we go into complex problem solving, such as a, a PI shift to mathematically figure this out, because with that drop zone specifically, you're not gonna have uh, communications always, so it handles it like that. Uh, obviously, I speak drop zone heavy, because I used to be a drop zone instructor before I took over for NCIC, so I'll turn it over to Slant Morales, who, again, is our HLZ uh, face chief. He can speak on that. Well, I guess before you dig into the HL, or the specific phases here a little bit, because there's a lot of information, so can, can you give us like an overview um, of like what, how is the course broken out? You said 16 day course, what does that look like? Sure, and, and before I get to that, I wanna say that the, you know, the WTC, we're professional instructors. Mm -hmm. uh, the old National Guard from 15, 20 years ago, when it was show up for your one week in a month, two weeks during the summer and you have a barbecue and, and that was really it, that's, that's gone away. We've seen uh, the, the need between the uh, different components to work together and so, if you come here to the WTC, which was started by uh, our current deputy commander, Mr. Sider, uh, or we come to you, uh, you're going to get a professional organization. Uh, and we come and we, or again, or you come to us, you're, you're going to get uh, anything that's on uh, that's on par, the equivalent, maybe in, 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 in my opinion, you're going to get something better because we are dedicated instructors uh, to our craft, to our, to our course, uh, and we take a lot of pride in it and we will spend whatever time is necessary uh, because this is our sole focus. We volunteered to come here. Uh, we were vetted. We went through a hiring process before we got here. So this, we weren't just assigned here randomly by the army where they just drew a name out of a hat and said, now you're gonna be a Pathfinder school instructor. Uh, I interviewed with Sergeant Ludek before I got here. He knew who I was before I got here. I knew who he was, what I was capable of. And that was, I was brought here just like he was brought here, just like the other instructors were brought here because of our particular background and, and expertise and that's one of the also one of the advantages you get with the National Guard that we have professions outside of this that help us as instructors which then subsequently helps you as students so coming to the WTC or bringing the WTC to you whether it be for Pathfinder school or aerosol school or master fitness school or light leaders course or senior gunners course or any of the courses you're going to get a professionally run organization we're just not showing up we're not just gonna hang out for 16 days and have a barbecue and just at the end of the at the end of those 16 weeks just hand you a torch you're going to get a full-blown army course uh catered to your needs uh for sure and and that being pathfinder schools that's what you need that's what we're coming there to do uh but again we don't we don't lower the standards because we're national guard in fact uh some of the active duty uh, folks that have come through feel like we might have even raised the standards in some respects because again we are professional instructors uh this is it this is this is what we do we don't have a side hustle we're not driving for a ride share we're not delivering pizzas we are we are professional army instructors uh, that again volunteer to come here we are vetted 
we go through the hiring process and we and we and we put on a truly professional course in whatever whatever uh, aspect that is whatever you need uh, and then in answer to your question uh, about what the course is like so over those 16 days and I want to say that uh, you, you want to come to Pathfinder school read the welcome letter because every answer <laughs> every answer is in there for sure yep. but so it's broken down into uh, three phases the first phase being sling loads um, then the next phase being uh, HLZs, which again, uh, Sergeant Ludek uh, said I'm the HLZ phase chief, so I have, okay. a, real, I have a real passion for that. Uh, this is my background. Uh, I spent time at Fort Campbell as a member of the 101st Airborne Division Air Assault. Oh, wow. uh, so that's really, that's my heart. That's, uh, that's, that's as much as I've, I've jumped out of planes for a long time, and I absolutely, absolutely love jumping out of planes. But again, uh, I think my loyalty lies to, uh, to the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, so uh, that's the second phase is HLZs, and then you go into the drop zones phase. Each phase uh, has a written test that you're evaluated on, which you must score 70% or above. Uh, and, and in particular, the sling loads phase has a, a hands-on test uh, where you test it on four loads, which you must score 70% or above on each one of those loads. Uh, and also uh, in the drop zone, the drop zone test is broken down into six sections, uh, which you must pass every section, it's not, it's not cumulative. So in the unfortunate event that you have some difficulty with that section and you don't score 7% or above, you would have to retest that section up to all six sections. Uh, the course is challenging for sure. Uh, and 16 days goes fast. It goes fast, not only for the students, but for us as instructors. But uh, what, does a, what does a typical day look like for, from the student's perspective? So from the student's perspective, uh, usually starts at, at 08. Of course, we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to eat. Uh, and we encourage, and, I, and, uh, and we say this repeatedly, and I learned this uh, as a student, uh, and I learned it when I was coming through as a, uh, as a trainee instructor, and Sergeant Ludek harped on it a lot. Uh, Got to get sleep. So uh, it really starts the night before. You got to get as much sleep as you possibly can. Sometimes that's a lot, it's easier said than done. But it's about 08, we'll start with the classes. Um, during sling loads phase, you're gonna spend a lot, of, a lot of time outside actually with your hands on the load. You gotta touch it, you gotta feel it, you gotta see it, you gotta be able to name it. Uh, and then when you move on to the HLZ phase, uh, we do manage to get outside because it's about setting up HLZs. Uh, and that's all the classroom that we do builds up to supporting uh, establishing an HLZ. So you do spend some time outside, but unfortunately there's a lot of, uh, a lot of material that we need to get across. Uh, we need to put out to the students. Uh, so there are, there are some slides, which again, uh, it's just, just yeah. the nature of it. Um, and then the drop zones, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of PowerPoint slides as well. And I know everybody talks about the, the infamous death by PowerPoint. Sometimes that's just the most effective way to get the information out. Of course, there are, there are countless TMs and FMs and student study guides that are there to support it as well. But there are, there is some classroom portion for sure. Uh, take a, take a break for lunch uh, every day. Again, because we talk, we talk about the, uh, the holistic need as a as a soldier uh, you need to find time to rest you need to find time to recover so we do break for lunch uh, sometimes that break is not just for the students sometimes that break is for us as an instructor so we don't just go straight through the day no then, uh... we absolutely we absolutely don't uh, and when i was coming through as a training and training to be an instructor and sergeant ludek would say you know you've got to take that that break for you as an instructor as well because and we love answering questions i don't want you to think we don't want to answer questions uh but like i said that break for lunch is sometimes for us as well uh, and then after lunch we'll come back 
and there'll be more classes, whether it be an actual practical exercise that we'll go and do outside. Uh, and there's practical exercises in every phase, in particular in the, in the, uh, the drop zone phase, where you actually learn how to set up uh, and walk through setting up the different types of drop zones. Because it's one thing to hear it, but then when you actually get to see it, it's, yeah. uh, it's something entirely different. I can different. imagine. What, what, so what does it look like then for, or I guess, let me rephrase that. You know, if I'm a prospective soldier, you know, looking to go to Pathfinder school for whatever reason, what are some of those minimum requirements to get in access to the course? I'll hit on that, sir. Uh, there's a various array of uh, prerequisites to get in the course. I advise everybody to go to their school's NCO and, and go to ATARS to, to get the detailed list. But a basic minimum, you have to have a basic GT score of 110 for enlisted. Obviously, officers okay. would have that uh, to be an officer. Um, and then the MOSs range from uh, 11 series to 19 series, some 15 series, some 92 series. Again, go to ATARs for that detailed list. Uh, enlisted is, is uh, E3 to E7. Okay. Uh, officer is uh, 01 to 03 um, in various branches. Well, not various, but limited branches. Um, <clears throat> and then obviously green on all your medical readiness. Yeah. So pretty straightforward then. Y you mentioned all I have to do is uh, do a couple practical exercises and get a 70% on each test. Uh, how hard can it be? What's, Easier your, what's, said your, than what's your attrition rate look like? I would say we're about 40%, uh, uh, so about 60% graduation somewhere, yeah. between yeah. 50 and 60. Some classes are better than others okay. uh, for various reasons. Uh, the instructors, we don't change. Uh, we present the material uh, in the way that uh, is practices, you know, okay. TTPs that we have learned. Uh, and we do a constant evaluation of ourselves. Uh, Sergeant Ludek looks at, to see how we're doing. Uh, sometimes he's in more of the classes than the students are, it seems like. Uh, so we put the information out uh, as best as we can. And then from there, it's, it's just, it's just kind of up to the students. Um, like I said, some are better than others. Um, but yeah, I'd say about between 50 and 60%. Yeah, it, it fluctuates a lot, and there's a lot of variables and outliers that go into that. Okay. 40 to 60 is easy, and, and I know that's a huge window, but one thing for everybody that wants the golden egg on, on how to do this is sleep and then ask questions, no matter how stupid you think they are. The, the classes that don't ask questions usually have a, a, a lower success rate. Um, but we go and do our mobile training team. Uh, we're not just on Fort Benning. We go all over the country. Uh, we're going overseas this year, uh, potentially. Um, so everything changes. The dynamic changes, the, the type of units we're changing, the type of equipment we're training on changes. So that really fluctuates the, the, the pass rate. But, but the, again, the success is, is sleep and then ask questions. That's usually the general rule. So it sounds like it's a pretty mentally challenging course. Um, you know, I guess, what are some of your pieces of advice for students going into it? You just said, you know, hit on the sleep, the sleep part of it. But is there any type of material that students should be prepped ahead of time? to help them be more successful in some of those early exams? Well, really, the first exam is is on day one. So, oh, nice. okay, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably the biggest surprise, uh, the number of students that show up. Um, and so you get a block of instruction in the morning and then that first, is, that first test in the afternoon. Uh, and that's probably the biggest surprise. Uh, so it comes with a welcome letter. Again, uh, Sergeant Ludek sends it out well in advance, 30, 60 days in advance. You get multiple uh, multiple bites of the apple on that. Uh, read it because with it comes the, uh, the nomenclature study packet for sling loads because that's the very first test that you take. So uh, 
We do not encourage anybody to go beyond that um, because while that material is out there and available to you, uh, trust us uh, and we will teach you uh, the way to, to learn it and know it. We don't teach for the test, uh, again, because we're not just here to hand out badges. We're here to give you a skill and then make you a false multiplier and make you uh, to increase your lethality and then and go out to the force and spread that. So you're not gonna get it for free, but don't read too far ahead because we don't want you to learn something and confuse yourself. Uh, so just study that nomenclature packet that comes with the, with the uh, welcome letter and study it and know it. And the biggest question that we get is, do I need to know all of it? You need to know all of it. Verbatim. Down, verbatim down to the last digit of the last number. Every and every bit of it is testable. So that's really, uh, that's the only thing that you need to study, the only thing you should want to study. Uh, that should be your, um, you know, your go home criteria at the end of the day, sleep with it, um, you know, how, uh, absorb it through osmosis, whatever it is, but you gotta, you gotta get it all. And can you explain a little bit as an instructor, like why is it so important to know like that nomenclature, you know, verbatim? Well, you know, when you get out into the force and you've got the Pathfinder badge on your uniform, people are going to expect you to be the subject matter expert. And I know it's, it's a cliche phrase, but it really is. Uh, wearing the Pathfinder badge, it's, it's not just something, it's just not just something to do. Uh, it, is, uh, it is recognition of your work uh, that you put in, but also the work that you're capable of. Uh, and this is, Pathfinder School is not a true leadership school. It's not an NCOES, but when you leave here as a, as a current and qualified Pathfinder, you are expected to have a certain skill set that you will implement as a leader and for, and for your leadership. So you should know it. Uh, and you should know it verbatim, so that way if you are asked a question, you can, you can answer that question, or at the very least, you know where to, you know where to reference it. And particularly for, for the nomenclature, and we talk about tensile strength, and we talk about rated capacity and things like that, because those, those could be uh, the difference between uh, life or death, quite frankly, and they don't want to overstate overstated and certainly don't want to understate it either uh, but that could be lose uh, result in loss of life or equipment if you miscalculate something if you if you overload something and in cases sometimes if you even underload something because their minimum weight requirements just as are their their maximum weight requirements so it's just uh in can you know it all? Uh, no, you probably can't know it all. But again, so you know where to reference it, and that's that's where the leadership aspect comes into it. Uh, and that and that's again, you want to know it. Certainly, you know there's there's a there's a written evaluation, and we can't we can't hide that from you. But we don't teach the test. We teach you to take this knowledge and to go out and, and increase the lethality of the force and be a true force multiplier for you and for your for your chain of command. And then, what would you say? as a NCIC here is the like biggest attrition part of the course right now where you see the most students drop out? Well, that's debatable and these guys will fight in the team room about that. Um, to be honest with you, those outliers, those, those uh, variables that go from course to course and, and just the student body, there's usually strong personalities that will draw the students to ask questions. They see this strong NCO asking questions he's not afraid to, that, that usually uh, will bleed over into the other students. So there's all those, those things. That being said, to answer your question, it's usually one of the three phases. I know that's not the great, uh, greatest answer, but usually one is, is the big numbers uh, dropper, um, the, the big catastrophic no-go-home or go-home one. Um, 
generally it's between sling loads, which is the first phase, of course. So it's, it's just smacks them in the face. They realize that we're not bluffing when we say ver uh, verbatim. Um, HLZs, it varies time to time, but Sergeant Rouse does a pretty good job. Uh, just so everyone knows, he is the instructor of the cycle in our last course. He, uh, he has broken the three-year streak of drop zones. So an HLZ guy finally broke through and won oh, it. Wow. Um, and then getting back on topic, drop zones is just difficult in and of itself. Uh, it's the longest phase. It's arguably the most technical phase. You have to memorize the most uh, information. Um, so that one has a higher attrition rate. Generally, it evens itself out, so we're still between that 40 and 60% uh, pass rate. Um, so usually, like I said, it's one phase or the other. Yeah, I remember thinking that when I was at Pathfinder School that, that sling loads was a lot of information. Then I got to HLZs, and I was like, oh, this is definitely more challenging. And then I got to drop zones, and I was like, oh, this is even more information. And that's every um, student that ever goes through. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I went to every test thinking, like, the morning of, that, like, ah, like, I'm, I could definitely fail this test today. Um, straight through though didn't have to retest so there we go that's rare that is that's rare it's a good oer bull um yeah so looking at it you know we talked a little bit about capabilities right and what pathfinders bring to the force we talked about you know why it's challenging you you gave the advice on hey make sure like learn the nomenclature ahead of time but let us teach you the material um is there any i guess you would say like tips or tricks that you've noticed for students while they're in the course that help them help set them up for success whether it be like study habits or i know you mentioned the questions a lot but is there anything additional that that you guys kind of throw out there as instructors that you've seen like uh really do well for most students it's, i can't overemphasize the need for rest and recovery okay uh, this is a lot of times and we'll stay we'll stay late we we will absolutely stay late uh there the way our schedule is organized, there is the commandant's time, uh, which is, it's a mandatory study hall. There's, you know, there's, can't split any hairs on that. That's what it is. And it's an hour, uh, but we will stay, we'll stay late. I think the latest I've stayed uh, was about 2230 uh, before the night of a test. Uh, but, and we, we stress it as much as we can. Uh, some students heed our advice, uh, some don't. Uh, but rest and recovery, rest and recovery, because if, you, if your mind is not fresh, uh, it doesn't matter how many times I tell you the TDP size uh, for UH60, if you're, if you're half asleep or you're trying to recharge with uh, multiple energy drinks or multiple cups of coffee uh, and you might get it for that 15 minutes, but as soon as you start to crash, it's all gone. Uh, so sleep, rest, um, and eat you definitely uh and it seems like well this, this seems like uh you know some hippie stuff about getting sleep and making sure you're eating properly and i guess maybe it is i don't know and i mean we we we've we actually done some episodes on like holistic health and fitness we it is whole, right it's very important that, yeah. it's, it's very important uh and that's and then you know you talk about study habits so somewhere in there you got to find time to study between trying to eat uh, and you know, trying to eat a good meal, trying to find time to rest, uh, but then you also you got to study in there too. So whatever study habits uh, got you through to whatever level of education you have, um, hopefully it's <laughs> you know it it wasn't just I just showed up and took the test and I was on the football team and coach passed me. Uh, hopefully it's a little bit more than that, but whatever study habits you have, uh, certainly uh, keep those up. Um, you know. A lot of people like to use flashcards. Uh, if that works for you, uh, people like to study in groups. If that works for you, but again, whatever whatever works for you. Some people, some students, they want to go off and study by themselves. 
but again, that's uh, that's all uh, personal technique. Uh, but it, it, whatever whatever you have done in the past is certainly what you want to. Don't come to Pathfinder School and decide I've never studied in a group. Uh, and I've hated it all my life, but now's the, the chance for me to start studying in a group because it's probably not going to work for you. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, it's, it sounds, you know, uh, kind of simple just to say, get some sleep, eat well and study. But outside of just getting the material, that's probably the best thing that you can do. And, and you mentioned earlier that there's some like complicated mathematical formulas that go into, uh, being, being a Pathfinder and, and you guys teach at the schools, is there anything that students should prep themselves up ahead of time related to that or are they going to... Absolutely not. Okay. No. Don't even If, you, if you have an understanding of the uh, Pythagorean theorem and, and trigonometry and things of that nature, like, that's good. That'll help you. But we cater to both, you know. Yeah. We've got college-educated people and we've got people who are knuckle-draggers like us, right? So we have similar instructors. A lot of us are from Georgia and have a Georgia education, so we try to cater to the people that need that. Um, we will get you there. If you need to know why, I'll tell you why the, the, the Pythagorean theorem is the way it is. If you don't, I'll tell you to turn your brain off and then just plug everything into this formula and it works out. Don't do anything prior than just learning the nomenclature packet is my suggestion. Yeah, I think I can remember when I was through the course, one of the things was like before drop zones, I, uh, you know, memorized all these formulas and stuff. I spent like the first like five minutes of my drop zone test just like charting down all the materials so I could just reference it Absolutely. over and over Absolutely. again yep. throughout the course, like throughout the test anyway. It was, uh, I think I must have rewritten that paper during study hall like a hundred times. Yeah, sure absolutely. You should. You, absolutely. That is, uh, when I went through the course, I'm sure when Sergeant Ludak went through the course, that's the first thing. As soon as they say go, start writing down every single formula and probably even some formulas that didn't relate to Pathfinder School. I wrote down everything I could possibly think of. Uh, just, it's just like, it's like a reference sheet, you know, uh, anything that you can use, like the glossary terms, anything. Anything and everything, uh, yeah, just just dumped it all out on the piece of paper. Now, you, what, what, how was the experience, I guess, for both of you um, as a student in the course a long time ago? It was miserable. Yeah. It was miserable. Uh, I'd like to say that I went to, like, the last hard one, but that's a lie because Pathfinder is, like, the one school in the Army that keeps getting harder uh, because you, you need to be trusted to do these complex problem solving and, and airdrop resupply. So they keep adding stuff. Some would argue badge protecting. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, when I went through, I think when Sergeant Morales went through uh, as well, uh, I went back in 2014. There was only five sections of the drop zone test. Now there's six. You have to actually fill out a drop zone survey and do the math uh, that applies to that and, and all, hopefully send off to have an approved drop zone. I've used that uh, in actual applications to go survey drop zones uh, after I've got out of the school several times. It's a ton of tactical surveys. Um, when we went through, there was no DA form 7382. It's the actual form that you would fill out for a sling load. Like, you should know that. You should know that. You don't get taught that in air assault school. You didn't used to get to, uh, taught that in, in Pathfinder. Now you do. So it, it is. It gets harder, but it's, it's for practical reasons. So when you do leave here and you go to your unit the next day, you may not be extremely confident, but you know immediately exactly what form you got to go to and how to fill it out. Yeah, and I wish I could say my experience was better or different in any way. Uh, yeah, visible, stressful, uh, you know, but it is a stressful school. It's, it's not a, we're not a school of attrition. We're not out here trying to weed people out. And like he said, uh, protect the Pathfinder badge. Uh, but it is a difficult school for sure. Uh, and there's a lot of material that you have to learn in a, in a short period of time. 
but uh, every instructor here is uh, is dedicated and we will do everything we can uh, legally and ethically uh, to get you to where you need to be. Uh, and then at that point, it's up to you. It's entirely up to you. But it's, uh, I'm glad I went and also glad I'm done with it. And, and if honestly, if they told me I had to go again to keep my badge, I'd go again, but it would be, uh, I'd do it grudgingly to say the least. So. Yeah, I can imagine the, uh, I mean, I feel like the practical applications are pretty, pretty significant, especially for some of these uh, airborne units in the guard that, you know, I know specifically like for my, you know, like we, we have a drop zone that we use there all the time, but we're constantly looking at like other opportunities to try to drop uh, soldiers or equipment in different places um, just to provide some, you know, different training environments, right? right. Which is right in line with what you were saying, the practical application piece. Of it. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a chance uh, to participate through the National Guard. Uh, it's a, it's a, the National Guard does so much that people don't realize, but through the National Guard had a chance to participate uh, through my uh, previous unit in Texas, uh, 1st Battalion, 143 Airborne. Oh, nice. uh, and we participated in uh, Sabre Shield and Sabre Guardian in Europe uh, as part of the, uh, a NATO operation. Uh, and so we had we jumped in Poland, we jumped in Romania, uh, and somebody, a Pathfinder, had to go and do a drop zone survey because that farm field that we jumped into in Romania, um, that farm field that we jumped into in Poland, uh, somebody had to go out and certify it as a drop zone, and it was a yeah. U.S. Army Pathfinder had to go out and do it. And we're talking about big airborne assaults uh, that a Pathfinder a graduate, whether it be of the WTC Pathfinder School or a Pathfinder School from the 507th a few years ago, somebody went out and a Pathfinder is responsible for five, 600 shoots in the sky. Uh, and that's an awesome responsibility. And that's why we take our job so seriously because uh, you might be called on as a Pathfinder to go to Romania, to go to Poland, to go to the Ukraine, to go to Latvia, and you have to set up and establish a drop zone. And it's entirely, it's entirely on you and the team that you bring with you. Uh, lives are on the line. Lives are definitely on the line. Uh, so that's, again, that's why we, we give everything that we possibly can as instructors, because you know, two years, three years, seven years down the road, you're gonna to have to call on something that you learned at the Pathfinder School, and it could it could cost uh, somebody's life, uh, and it could or loss of uh, equipment, and I don't know, losing I mean, yeah, equipment it, in the arm is pretty I mean, serious. It's super true though, because like I, I remember so, uh, I went to NTC this summer with uh, my brigade, and sure enough, like you know, we were a couple days in the operation and out with the Cav Squadron, and they were like, hey, uh, we need to do some air resupply stuff um you're a pathfinder why don't you plan this right right you know and i was like oh let me get those manuals back out again <laughs> to refresh here absolutely but uh yeah super i mean i feel like super diverse skill set now in, and i guess as we close up here a couple questions one you mentioned earlier about like uh wtc and the pathfinder team here specifically being able to help provide some aid to the units and stuff out there outside of just teaching the course can you dive into that a little bit uh, I think both of us should speak on that one. Yeah, we want everyone to know that we are here. We're not only here to teach uh, Pathfinder and, and continue that skill set with, yes, you'll still have the ASI, and yes, you'll still get the badge for now, and we don't want people to solely come there for that. Uh, it was the opinion of somebody uh, at the last Static Line Symposium that what they found in Pathfinder School uh, offered you was just to teach you how to sew a badge on your uniform. 
Uh, just for complete transparency and or to deconflict that, we've taken the sewing kits off of our um, packing list because uh, that's not what we do here. Um, we, we actually teach this skill set. So it, in addition to the POI and the course, we offer the, the air crews here on Fort Benning or elsewhere, any guard units, any active units that need to certify or want a refresher, uh, as long as we can coordinate it through our um, chain of command uh, and we've got time in between courses, we're, we're here to, to help you, to, to extend, to refresh you on Pathfinder skills and sets. And, and that's what we're all about. We're all about reps and sets on, on Pathfinder applications. So if we can be of service, then that's what we want to do. And we want to help the force. Again, we're here. We're available to help in, in, in any way. And I'll pass it over to Sergeant Morales to... Since Pathfinders in the National Guard, they're in a unique situation. Uh, the active duty side of the house, uh, they, I mean, they focus, again, on airborne assaults, which, again, is... It's an awesome thing when you're up in the air and you look around and there's 500 of your fellow jumpers around. It's, it's great. I, there's no feeling like it in the world. In the National Guard, not only do you get that, but you also have your, your service to your community as well. I guess it was about two months ago, we had a, a recent Pathfinder School graduate call back to us because they needed to move uh, a water purifier or something uh, when they had a couple hurricanes uh, back to back. And so they needed to move this huge piece of equipment. And there was a Pathfinder there who graduated, called back, and we provided him every bit of information. We hit every manual we could think of. We called on, uh, called favors, called in other resources because that's what we're here to do. Uh, we give you a skill set, then you go out and, and then you put that into, into practice because we increase the lethality, but we also have to you know, increase how we serve our community because again, that's the unique aspect of the National Guard is we wear two hats. Not only do we defend the nation, but we're also there to, su to support the force, uh, to support the local community as well. So, you know, call back, call back. If you, and that's something that is important, I think, for the units that are out there who that are not on jump status and they're thinking, well, what, why would I need to send anybody to Pathfinder? Why should I pay to bring uh, the WTC here to, to do uh, a mobile training Pathfinder course? Because we provide you with a skill set. You know, I, I was talking to somebody else and I was saying that, you know, it's like going to Starbucks or just ordering just the mocha frappuccino and not knowing about the secret menu that, that you can offer. So that's why you come to Pathfinder School and then we're going to give you all the of the additional skills, the additional knowledge that you can take back to any unit. It doesn't matter uh, if you are in an ABCT in Texas, or if you're in a light infantry unit in, in Maryland or wherever it might be, you can take these skills back to your, because as Sergeant Ludek was talking about, aerial resupply, that's what it is. Sometimes that aerial resupply is, is personnel, uh, sometimes it's equipment. Uh, so the National Guard, again, can use Pathfinders can use Pathfinders in a way that the active duty can't, wouldn't have an opportunity or a need to use them because they are solely focused on um, fighting and winning the nation's wars. But in the, in the National Guard, we fight and win the nation's wars, but then we also service our community as well in times of need or natural disasters. But yeah, and, and I mean, last year's a great, or last year in 2020 was a great year, or 2021 even. Um, I wouldn't say it was a great year, sir. <laughs> well, <laughs> for guard, I mean, example, I guess yes. I should say. <laughs> yes. of, guard being used all over for like right from from hurricanes to civil uh, support so but anyway well thank you both for coming on sharing all the ins and outs of pathfinder school thanks for having us sir. yes thank you it was a pleasure thanks for tuning in today to leaders recon if you liked today's episode you can find more information on our social media pages in the links below or visit our website at www.nationalguard.mil 
slash development. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.